Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, we have Pastor Kurt preaching a sermon titled, God's Grace versus God's Wrath, from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Faith is a divine gift meant for us to receive without effort. God bestows lavish gifts upon us because we are his masterpieces, his unique poetry crafted before time began. He designed us for exclusive purposes, calling us to believe in his perfect love and our creation in his image. When we accept his love, it pours into the lives of those around us. We're meant to work from his love, not for it. Will you now choose to receive his love and share it with others? Good morning. Good morning, church family. And everyone online, church family online, and everyone online, your family, so good to have you. I have to say, I'm a little, little excited this morning that I get to be able to come up here and speak to you again. It's been a hot minute since I've been up here, you know, like 112 days, 35 minutes and 22 seconds, but who's counting? But, you know, since that first time that as your new associate pastor that I got to speak, I've been learning this thing called this job where I get to serve you. It's such a cool job. It actually isn't a job, but it's been an experience to little by little get to understand how do I get to serve you? What does that look like for our community? Who are you and and how do I get to just serve you like Jesus does? So, So it's been a while and I am so excited to be up here again because not only do I get to speak, but I get to speak on a pretty banging passage. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, which I love chapter 1. Now, I, have, uh, I had a professor that once said that if you think of Scripture as like meat, like you're eating rich meat, that Ephesians 1 is the filet mignon <laughs> of Scripture. So Andy has been taking us through that. And then I get to take us into chapter 2 in a really cool passage, uh, verses 1 through 10. But first, if you're new here today, if you're new online, this is your first time, or um, you've been around a little bit, I just want you to know, when I say church family, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. As soon as you walked in those doors, from our point of view, you are family, right? And so what we do as family is, like every family, we have family values, right? We have things that we hold to as a family. And so one of those, we have three, and I don't know why I'm doing four as I'm saying three. (laughs) Online, I hope you can't see that. Travis pulled back out as I was doing that. Thank you. But we have three things that we hold as as family, church family values. One is hope beyond our brokenness. Okay, fact or fiction, the world is broken. Fact. Fact or fiction, we struggle with brokenness, all of us. Fact. So I like to think of it this way, right? We walk, we all have our brokenness, and we walk through a broken world. And what are broken things if not sharp They have sharp edges, right? Things have been broken off. And when you rub up against, as broken people, we rub up against each other in our brokenness, what happens? 
<laughs> we get cut, don't we? And as we pass through a broken world, what happens? We get cut. And the brokenness of this world can be described as disease, death, pain, hurt, right? Whatever kinds of wounds. But there is hope, hope beyond our brokenness. Hope for all of us. For every single human, there's hope. Why? Because there's a risen Savior named Jesus, and we get to put our trust in him as a risen Savior. And why is that so important? Why? What does it even mean to be a risen Savior? What did Jesus do for us? Right? Pain and death exist in this broken world, but here's how we get to overcome both of those. Jesus overcame them. Death and pain. So there's this word called intimacy, right? To be intimate with somebody to means to be close. But there's another and more important part of what it means to be close to somebody. Intimacy is you enter in, right? You enter into their lives. If you don't know somebody, like what's going on in their lives, I would say you haven't entered in and you don't have a very intimate relationship. And we work with people and we serve with people and we see people that we're like, hi, how are you doing? Great. Like that's not intimacy, guys. (laughs) That is not intimacy, right? Intimacy is getting involved in another person's life. Intimacy is entering in. And here's the hope we have. God himself looked at this broken world that he didn't cause and he left heaven, that perfect place, and he came as Jesus, the son of God, into our world and entered into our death and brokenness. And because God is life himself, death could not conquer him. And he came in and he let us kill him on the cross because he knew death could not break him. And here's what he did. He carried us. He entered into our suffering, our death. This is where we have been. We've been living in death and brokenness and disease and hurt. And Jesus entered into that place where we lived and he came and he picked us up on the cross and carried us through death and out the other side in his resurrection. That's what it means to put our hope and trust in our risen Savior, that he carried us from death to life. And if death is the mightiest thing there is to conquer, what can pain do to us? Is he not healing us from every brokenness, from our hurts and even hurting each other? Will he not heal us? If he healed death, will he not heal us? And he's continually healing us because, you know, The world keeps cutting. We keep passing by each other. And there's always a little more brokenness that we have to, like, be healed of, right? And that is what he does. But that's not the end of it. Because then we get to be hope for our community. We call it restoration for our community. Because here's the beautiful thing. As you're being healed, how many people, like, when you're excited about something... Like, obviously, Joe's excited about his football game. I don't know why he's excited about the 49ers. We got 49er fans. I love you. Okay, well, we'll 
Well, I'm going to keep going. But think of it. When you're excited about the 49ers or for me, the Packers, right? You're excited about your team. Don't you go spread that to everyone? You tell everybody what's going on, especially when they win. What did Joe just do? Showed us a video of his son scoring a touchdown. You think that's a proud dad? Excited dad, right? This is what it looks like to bring restoration to our community. It is not obligation. It is as you are experiencing healing, as you are trusting your risen Savior and finding and experiencing the hope, the reality of hope that that brings in your life. It overflows. It overflows to the people around us. Change for a dollar. Mary doesn't even know why she raised her hand, right? It just flowed. She's like, put that down, right? No, but it can't because it's overflowing. That is what we get to do for our community. It doesn't end with us. Healing does not end with us. It keeps going. Isn't that awesome? Oh, my gosh. So everything we just talked about, the reason I really dug into these today is because everything we just talked about is in Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 10, it's all there in the passage. But I got to warn you, this is a heavy passage. It's heavy. There's some stuff in here that could get a little confusing, especially the idea of God's grace and God's wrath. They're in this passage. And if you are not careful, we can be confused to think that somehow those are separate things. They're not. Everything we just talked about today is God's grace. An unmerited, here's God's grace. Can we put this up on the screen just so you understand? This is what God's grace is. Everything we've been talking about is a gift. We did not do anything to earn God's love. Nothing. God is love. It isn't about us at first. It's about who God is and his love. And so in his love, God has, gives us his favor. You, if you love somebody, they, you, they have favor with you, right? God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And you have favor with him. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. It's unmerited and it's infinite. And so we need to keep that framework in mind as we dig into this idea of how does God's grace and God's wrath, how are they compatible with each other? And I know it's heavy, but I want to tell you, I think if you listen closely, you'll find by the end of this message, by the time we're done, that you, that confusion of how God's grace and how God's wrath could possibly coexist and how they could flow from the same God that's going to be gone. So I want to ask you, will you trust me this morning? Yes. Will you trust me to unpack this with you? Will you open your hearts, those deepest places, to let me and God do that work with you today? Will you do that? Yes. Will you pray with me then? Yes. God, thank you, thank you that this is about you. This is about you being displayed for who you are in your grace 
Thank you that we get to understand what your wrath is actually being poured out on. It's a beautiful beauty that we get to go through. God, so we just pray right now the power and authority you've given every one of us in this room and everyone online. We pray right now against anything the enemy would do to confuse us. We send everything opposed to Jesus to be judged by you, Jesus, and we receive once again your love your grace, your hope, and your insights, and your power to understand. Do you agree? Amen. Okay, so since you agree, everything we've been talking about, before we get into the scripture, we have a choice to make. Do we trust Jesus for our hope? Do we trust him for his resurrection and restoration power in the world to work through us. Will you trust him? Will you choose to trust him? Because every day it's a choice. Like this doesn't just come automatically. I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning and it's a fight to get back to hope. Anyone else ever get there? Yeah? One, two people are willing to admit that they don't wake up with hope every morning. So we have to choose it. So let's choose it. Are you willing to choose this? More than three people? Good, let's do it. Here we go. Disciple, by the way, means student. I'm a disciple. I'm a a student of God's love. How about you? All right. We are disciples. Say this with me. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Good job. Yes. And good job to me because when I said one, I actually held up the right number that time. (laughs) Just want to say that. I just want to pat myself on the back. All right. So here we go. We're going to jump into Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And before we do that, before we get into it, Let me just remind you a little bit, because Andy has been, if you haven't been here or you haven't been watching online, Andy's been killing it. He has been bringing some awesome stuff in that filet mignon of chapter one. So I want to make sure that we are reminded just a little bit of that. One, the book of Ephesians that we're in is a letter, actually. There's different, I don't know if you know this, and if you don't, this is, right, I get excited to tell you that there are different kinds of um, books in the Bible. Some are poetry, some are prophetic, like speaking truth, and some are letters, and some are history, just chronicling what God did in the lives of human beings. This is a letter written to a group of people in an ancient Roman city called Ephesus, and he was writing to the church in Ephesus, this guy named Paul, Some call him the Apostle Paul because apostle just simply means you're an entrepreneur. You go and you start new things where there isn't stuff, right? And Paul went and started new churches. So he's writing to a church that he helped start. And he's writing to this church because there are a group of people that make up this church and some are Jews who have this history of understanding God in the Old Testament. Like, they have a history of knowing who God is. But there's another group called Gentiles. Some even say pagan. I hate that word personally. But there just means they're non-Jews. And non-Jews in the time of Rome, what they 
did was they worshipped many gods, including the emperor, Caesar, as a god. And so can you imagine these two groups of people who pretty much have nothing in common being in a church community together? That's, I, I think of, there's that saying, and iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know what happens when you sharpen iron? Sparks fly. There's a lot of sparks flying in this church. And so the whole first chapter, Paul is hammering God's grace, his unmerited favor, whether you're a Jew who have a rich history with God, whether you walked in and you know nothing about Jesus at all or the history of of who God is to the Jewish people. God's favor is on you. God's favor, God's favor is on you. He spends a whole chapter and then he sort of kind of takes a turn or so it seems. Okay, let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. This is important, okay? As for you, let's read this together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Oh, I'm so glad this is so light and fluffy and inconsequential. This is going to be a good day, guys. Told you. See, there's nothing to worry about here. So, seriously, will you let me again after reading that, will you let me lead you through the craziness? Okay, take a deep breath and exhale. Okay, here's, there's a positive thing you need to see first and foremost. You guys ready for this? What tense is Peter talking in, present or past? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay, so hope right there, right? There's hope. That's He's describing a pasting of this church community and he's writing to us as well, even though he didn't know that. And so for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, this is describing what we once were like. Yes. And if you're not sure about Jesus, I want you to know this is your future. Where we're going today is your future and you can let go of that past. So what are we dead in transgressions and sins. That's what we were dead in. So let's talk about these words. There's a lot of words, and Andy was saying we've got to unpack this stuff. So sin, like that's a pretty negative word. People in our culture, anyone like the word sin? Anyone excited to talk about sin? Not me. I'm with you. So it's important, though, to understand what the word means. Okay, so in the Old Testament, which... Half of this Jewish or this community was Jewish. They understood, and their understanding, sin actually was a picture, and it was a picture of a target. Can we bring that up? A picture of a target, and it was a picture of missing the target. Anyone ever had a game like this? Darts or, or arrows? Like this would be probably me because I'd be getting distracted. What did you say? Right? Or throwing the dart? Like. 
When we go to play cornhole in a couple weeks or uh, horseshoes, thankfully in horseshoes you can get close. But in, in the reality of archery, like the target is important. Sin is missing the target. What's the target? We're going to get there. Let's get to transgression. That's an interesting word. Anyone know what transgression actually means? Oh, see, like this is so good we're going to go in this. Okay, here's another word that is often translated transgression, trespass. Does that help? Trespass. Anyone ever see a sign like this, stop, no trespassing? Yes. Okay, so, so we missed the mark. Sin is missing the mark. We missed some kind of mark, and we also trespassed into where we weren't supposed to go, and we died because of it. So we're going to continue. So how did we get there? Well, can we go back to the scripture for a minute? Notice it says we were following somebody into trespassing and into going from shooting the mark to missing it. And it, it's described, this person is described as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's an interesting description. He is the ruler over those who are now disobedient. So who is this person? Could it be Satan? Right? Satan. Does anyone know actually what the word Satan means? It's a name. So devil is a title. Devil means accuser. Satan is his name, and the word means enemy, adversary. So we followed our adversary into trespassing something. How do we, let's figure out what we trespassed and where we missed the mark, we followed him in. Okay, so, you guys tracking with me so far? Are we, okay, good. Any other names or thought, words that, or descriptions of Satan that come to mind? I think these could be helpful. Anyone have any? Raiders. <laughs> the Raiders. <laughs> Deceiver. Liar. Okay, deceiver is liar, right, Kit? Liar. Jesus actually called him the father of lies. That all lies actually, like a father is someone who's the originator, right? Progenitor. So he is the, he is the origin of lies. That's important. Anyone else? There's another big one. Accuser, Accuser yeah. Manipulator. And there's another M word that's even more scary than manipulator. I hate manipulation. Murderer. He is the, also not just the originator of lies. He is the originator of death itself. He is the originator of death itself. All of us have followed our adversary, our enemy who is a liar, an accuser, and a murderer into trespassing where God didn't want us to go when we fell short of the mark that God had for us. What was the mark? The clue is right there in Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. What is the word it says we once were? 
What, what, what we once were. Dead. Dead. Here's the issue. Trespassing. God says, I want you to live. In, in the garden. In the garden of Eden. In the, which is mentioned in the first three chapters of the Bible itself. And by the way... I, I, there's a guy, an author called Robert Lewis. If you've ever heard of um, Authentic Manhood, it's a ministry. If you've ever heard of a book called Raising Up a Modern Day Knight to Raise Up Sons, to understand the power they have in this world, Robert Lewis is the man who wrote those books. He's the author of those books and that ministry. And he says this, that Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are literally the mountain that casts its shadow across all of human history. Like you can never get away. Like all of human history is in the shadow of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, those first three verses in the whole Bible. He says, so every word in Genesis drips with meaning and richness. We need to understand this. And in there, in the garden, God told Adam and Eve something very important. He said, here is all the trees in the garden. You can eat from every one of them, including what he put in the the garden was the tree of life. And he said, eat of all of these, but do not eat of this one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or you will what? Die. Die. Isn't it interesting God didn't say, if you eat of this tree, you will sin? God was, look what God was, what was important to God for us, for us to live. And the enemy comes along and he begins to lie to us and we follow him like the Pied Piper and we trespass the boundary between life and death. And the mark that God had for us to hit was abundant life. And in following the enemy, sin was missing the mark of living. This is what God has for us. This is what God has for us. And this is what Paul is reminding us that we slipped into. How did it happen? How did we slip into these lies following this enemy? Do you guys know what the conversation, and I, you may not, the conversation in those first, that first cha- or third chapter of, Gen- of Genesis between the first woman and Satan, she says to Satan, God told us not to eat from that tree the knowledge of good and evil. You know what's really interesting about the knowledge of good and evil? We have a word for that. It's called morality. Interesting that God said, don't eat from that tree. What are we always fighting about in our world? (laughs) God said, eat from the tree of life. That's it. I'll take care of the rest. How relaxing is that? (laughs) Like, wow, think of that world where everybody's just encouraging each other to go after life. So here's what happens. She says, we're not to eat of that tree or we'll die. That's what God says. And you know what the enemy says in reply? 
you will not die. You will certainly not die. Lie. Lie. Adam and Eve, before they ate from that tree, were going to live forever, eating constantly from the tree of life. And then they ate from the tree. God said, if you eat it, you'll die. Did Adam and Eve physically die eventually? But there's a different kind of death. There's a spiritual death, yes. Because in that moment, here's what's important. In that moment, when they ate of that tree, they were listening to the lie of the enemy who said that they will not die. Who said they would die? So when the enemy says, you will not die, what is he saying about God? That God is the liar. Isn't that interesting? The father of lies just told us that God is the liar. And what happened when they believed that to be true? What happened in that moment? Actions matter. Remember, we said choosing matters. What happened They made a decision that he was telling the truth and they ate from that tree. And in that moment, can we bring up the slide that shows us those funky heads? Some of us have these heads in this room. Some of us men have bald heads like that. Not me, but some of us do. Thank you, Kilo, for raising your hand. He's proud. He's very proud. So... Which one of those two heads, as they're looking at statements, are looking at an accurate description of who God is? The left, right? Is that left, right? Left, right? That's not confusing. You want me to go left? Right. God is the truth. Let's talk about that for a minute. Truth. God is the truth. What is true about God? What is the truth about God? We already said it. He is our what? He's our life, right? He is our life. And they believed the lie that he was lying to them. And look at that right side. In that moment, an inversion happened in the minds of Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman. They, before this moment that they listened to the enemy and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, were, they understood who God was and they were in relationship with God. They were entered in intimacy, entered into a relationship with God where he was carrying them in his life. God is the truth of God. He is life and love. But then that moment came where they listened to the enemy, and I, to this day, don't understand. Maybe I do. I don't understand why they didn't go back to God, who had been their life, their history with God, and their experience with God, was that they had everything they needed, an incredible life, and this serpent comes up and starts lying. Like, Satan is like a meth dealer. He is is a meth dealer cooking up lies, guys. And they bought into it, right? 
And in that moment that they bought into, did they go back to God and go, hey, this thing is saying this stuff about you? Did they go back to the one they had an intimate relationship and try to work it out? No, they went right to the tree. They listened and ate. And in that moment, this inversion was sealed in us as for the first man and woman, and we are their offspring, and we were born with this inversion in our mind, and it is on the right side that suddenly God and Satan, he got them to switch places, and God became the liar and the accuser. What does advocate mean? Someone who stands up for you. And in that moment, they believed that Satan was the truth and the advocate. And it was locked in. Locked in, guys. That sucks. <laughs> Come on, it does. And so what happens when you don't trust somebody? Do you want to hang around them? Do you want to be around them? Are you willing to open your heart and mind to someone that you don't trust, that you think is a liar and the accuser that's always out to accuse you? Do you want to be around that person? So they fled in the garden from God. And who is God to us? Our life. And there we trespassed, running from God. We, took, we crossed the boundary from life to death. And we began to miss the mark. And you know what? I got some words, and I want you to tell me, what does death look like? I want to, I'm going to say some words. I want you to tell me if these are life or death. Tell me this experience in our daily living in this world, if these are life or death. Anxiety. Yeah. Fear. Yeah. Guilt. Shame, yeah. worry, yeah. hurt. That's what we walked into, guys. And every moment that you're experiencing any of that stuff, it is God's intention for you never to experience it because he is the truth and he is your life. He loves you and he is your advocate fighting for you. And yet we don't believe it. We didn't. And we walked into it. So do we get that? Do we understand this? So this is, let's go back to the passage. Can we go back to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3? And we can see now, okay, that thing, flesh. This is, we're going to get the three now. The word flesh. That word. That is the lies that we believed. That's, so before that, all we knew of God was the truth. And then Satan said, here's these lies. And we said, okay, we'll eat that. And you know what happens? You know what that saying is about eating? You are? We took on the lies, guys. We ate them. We ate them. And we took on this new way of viewing things. The attitudes and the actions that come from the flesh. We believe the lies and we live out of those lies. And guess what? We live in death when we're living from those places. You guys understand that? So what, let's, let's look at this, okay? What is God's wrath all about? Because this is important. Now we're to the big one. We're by nature deserving of wrath. What does that mean? 
Let's go to another passage really quick that I find help, helps me understand a passage is one verse. If there's another verse that talks about the same thing, they can help, you know, I d- describe e- each other and uh, unpack each other. So this is Romans 1. We're going to go to Romans 1. And I want, uh, can we do uh, Romans 1 verses 18 through 19? Can we do that first? Okay. Look what the wrath of God is falling on, right? This is important. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the what? End of Okay, stop there for a second. Is God's wrath falling on people? Look carefully. The godlessness and wickedness of men and people, men and women, I should say, who do what in their wickedness? What's the truth? God is life. So God's wrath is falling on the lies that we've believed about him. Did you guys know that Scripture says we are made in the image of God? That we were created to reflect God. Think of the sun and the moon. Which is the source? Sun. Does the moon have any light within itself at all? But when it is facing the sun, what does it do? Especially right now, right? With the moon. It's full moon. I love the full moon because that is when it's facing the sun and we have lights at night, have you ever walked outside where there's no moon? Pretty darn dark, right? How about when there's a full moon? Have, isn't there a lot more light to see by? We were made in the image of God to reflect his life, his love. And when we lost that, what, did we, what are we reflecting now? Darkness and pain and death. See, like it matters how we see God because when we see God correctly, then we can see ourselves as his image bearers correctly. And we can see that God is loving us, which means we're beloved because he is love, we're beloved. Because he chooses each of us, we're chosen. (laughs) Because he is holy, we get to be holy. We get to reflect him. This is what Satan robbed us of, and this is why God's wrath is not falling on men. Andy said this a few, uh, I don't know if you were here this summer when he was talking in the book of James, and he said this. He said that in a relational issue, if you're having a relational issue with somebody, and you're at odds, you're disagreeing, there's two ways of approaching the situation. You can make the problem the problem, or you can make the person the problem. Which is the healthy way of of relating to people? Making the problem the problem, right. This is what God is doing. This is why making the problem the problem is healthy in our relationships because this is what God is doing. He made the problem the problem. And the problem was we believed lies and we ate, we took on this flesh, these lies, and we so integrated it into us that we think these lies 
about God and ourselves are really who we are. We're unloved, we're rejected, we're hated. Do you see the problem when we believe these things? And God's like, no, I'm attacking the problem. But when we think that that's us, how does it feel like? Does it feel like God's attacking us? If we're that enmeshed in those things? And no, he's not attacking the, us. He's attacking the problem to separate the lies out about who he is and who we are so we can see the truth. This is God's grace. We walked into death, guys. And God came after us and attacked the problem to bring us back into life. Is that amazing? Who's excited about God's wrath now? (laughs) God's wrath and God's grace are the same thing. They're attacking that mindset that we have adopted. And that is what Paul is wanting us to understand. That's what we were. We don't have to live that way anymore. Remember the song that Zed sang and led us in? He breaks every chain. See, when the enemy, we were given power and authority to rule this world. Did you know that? The first man and first woman were the rulers of all the universe. Did you know that? God gave them all power and authority. Satan wanted it, and the only way he could get it was for them to give it willingly to him, and the only way he could do that was to lie to them. You ever ever been cheated in a deal that someone told you it was going to be this way and it was a total lie so that he could get something from you? You've ever been there? And now you're chained to a contract that you didn't ever want because of the lies? That is what Satan did to us. We're the rulers of this world, not him. He is not the ruler of the, the air. We're the ruler of this world. God gave it to us. God is the ruler, and he made us the rulers. And Satan lied his way into flipping that around so that we would run from that into death. And so the beauty is, is that's who we once were. We were once slaves to the lies the enemy told us, and we were once slaves to him, and we were once slaves to death. But that is, let's go back to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and see that is what we were. That is what we were. Isn't that awesome? We were. And so this is why he reminds us of what we were, because sometimes we still slip back into that, don't we? We still slip back into that slave mentality, victim mentality, that we don't have power and authority, that we are not loved by God, and we walk around like, you know, everything that's happening is bad. My wife calls it the Eeyore kind of personality, right? When we get into that Eeyore personality, but this is why Paul's like, hey, church, that's what you once were, but this is who you are now. Let's go to Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. We spent a lot of time there, I know, but I wanted us to understand this as we walk into this. So can we get to Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, please? Can we read this together? But, I don't need that. Here we go. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, 
even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his great expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Remember what we said intimacy was entering in? Remember where Jesus entered into? Death. Where we were, where we were, he entered in and he carried us out. And here's what's really cool. Where did he carry us to? Where did he seat us? He seated us with him in the heavenly realms. What is Christ seated on in heaven? The throne. Guess what? You got your rulership and your authority back. You got your power and your authority has been returned to you. And you are literally sitting on Jesus' lap on his throne. Do you know what that means? You live in a broken world, guys, but you are no longer a slave to death. You no longer a slave to addictions. You are not an addict, even if you wrestle with addictions. That is not your identity. Your identity is beloved. And in that beloved, you've, as Andy told us, you are an heir of all that's God's. This is the love of God. He gives you everything that's his, and God is life, and he gives himself to you. So as you walk through this world, the enemy will like you to to go back to believing the lies that you're a slave. You know what does it to us? Circumstances, right? Someone gets mad at us, and we turn our focus off of God onto what that person thinks, and we begin to see ourselves through that person. Who's behind that? Totally. Totally. And this is why Paul wants to remind us of who we are. You know why I know this from personal experience? Because tomorrow's October 2nd. That may mean nothing to you. But five years ago, on October 2nd, 2018, the surgeon removed a 22-centimeter tumor from just above the bone on this quad. 22 centimeters, y'all, in in American terms, that is 10 inches, just in case you don't live in Europe. 10-inch tumor. You know how they even found it? I was beginning to have struggles with getting up from chairs and getting off the floor when I was doing things on the floor with my kids or other people, starting to get weaker and weaker. And I was just like, I'm getting old, y'all. I'm just getting old. That's what I was thinking. But then I was approaching 50, and I was like, okay, I'll go to the doctor. And I showed the doctor, hey, doc, I'm having a hard time getting up. Look at me pushing off this chair. And he's like, whoa, warning signals. That is not the way things should be. He's like, we got to do an MRI on your legs. And they found the tumor. And he's like, okay, I hope this is cancer. I hope this is cancer. Because if this isn't cancer, doing this to your body, like maybe, you know, some people who have cancer, wacky things happen in the body as the body tries to attack the cancer. 
If this isn't cancer, we got another problem. You have what's called a myopathy, a muscle disease. So let's hope it's cancer and we can get it out and it's done. They got out the tumor on October 2nd, 2018. Cancer-free, five years. No chemo. No radiation treatment. Take it out, it was done. But here's what happened. The weakness didn't go away. It got worse. So I had a rare cancer called liposarcoma, very rare kind of cancer. And then I had a rare, I have a rare disease called my, uh, inclusion body myositis. Think IBM, inclusion body myositis. And what it does is it's, my body is attacking. It's an autoimmune muscle disease that is attacking the muscles in my limbs. So not just my legs, my hands and arms and my throat. And if Jesus doesn't heal me, this will never stop. It is ongoing attacks. It's like I'm working out constantly, but I don't build muscles up. The muscles just keep tearing down. And if Jesus doesn't heal me, one day I'll be in a wheelchair, not too far in the future. And let me tell you something. I see God's grace all over this. The enemy wants me to believe I'm a victim, but I'm telling you all, we are rulers. Here's why I can say this. In these past five years, I used to be known as the Energizer Bunny. I could go from morning to night, not take a breath. I could run and speed along. But in these last five years, God has slowed me down. You know what happens when you go fast? You miss things. And you know what I was missing the most, even as a Christ follower? The presence of God in my life and his love. And now, my life, I cannot go fast. And now I know God like I've never known him before, and I see him entering in and intimacy into my life. I see his love. I see him breathing life into my life in the middle of going through the circumstances of this disease. I say this all the time, and I believe it. I'm telling you this. This is the truth. I wouldn't wish what is going on in my life. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But I would not trade this for anything. This is God's grace. That's the power and authority that we have. And what does that look like? We're going to wrap it with this last piece. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. What does it look like when we have grace? That when we understand that nothing can conquer us in this world. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Did we earn faith? It was a gift. Did we earn God's love, trusting that God loves us? It is a gift, not by works so that no one can boast. Did any of us earn this? I'm going to keep saying it. Grace is unmerited, unearned favor. We have God's favor. Therefore, look at 10. Let's say this together. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Restoration for our community as we receive God's love, as we receive God's life. You know, God's love is infinite, and are we infinite? 
We're finite human beings, very limited vessels. Guess what happens when you are receiving God's love in life? It overflows into the lives of everyone around you. It can't help it. Like Mary, you're going to raise your hand to give other people resources and love and encouragement. And you know what? When you are receiving that, guess what happens into that little container of finiteness? God pushes in his infiniteness and the container grows. You are every time you trust Jesus that he loves you, your container to contain that love grows and it overflows. And this is important because you are God's handiwork. You know what that word handiwork is also translated as? Masterpiece. You know what that word actually means in the original language? Poema. Do you know what poem is? You, each one of you, is God's unique poem. There is no one else like you. Unique. Poets don't want to write the same poem over and over again. Artists don't want to paint the same picture over and over again. And you are an expression of God's infinite nature in yourself. You are his poetry. And what does poetry do? It shares beauty with everyone around it. So guys, you are not created to work for love, to earn God's love. You are created to work from God's love. And today we get a chance to do that together. How, what does it look like to be you, unique you? How, what are the works God has for you to do in the lives of the people around you, including this church community? Who knows? God does, and we get to go on the journey as having the power and authority we have. We get to go on the journey of exploring how this works. So today is Sign Up Sunday. Today is Sign Up Sunday. We have two tables here and one outside by the food, for those of you who, who need, feel the need to go that way first. And we have every ministry around here that is offering places for you to discover the uniqueness of your poem and how you get to express that beauty in the lives of other people. Are you ready? Are you ready to explore what God has for you? Then let's do this. Let's, are you ready to choose this? Then let's choose it. Can we go with that last gospel exchange? And then I'm going to pray a blessing. Can we say this together if you're willing to choose it? Father God, I choose to receive the truth that I am your poem and your one and only unique and favorite version of me. I choose to receive your love, adoration, and joy towards me. I choose to follow you in giving all of your love and joy away to the people around me in the unique ways you designed me to do in Jesus' name. God, show us how we walk this out and serve from your love today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free to go. Pastor Kurt Flagel is the pastor of mission and discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. 
Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org.